So you can take your Bibles, boys and girls and moms and dads and everyone else, and open to James chapter 4. And you might remember as we work through that message in the first six verses of James 4, uh, we talked about anger, and I said that I really wanted to have these little booklets available for you. Uh, and so here's a little booklet titled Anger, and those came in on Monday or whatever this week. So just to kind of review, if you would like that and you want to just learn more about that, you can. And they're right outside that door. There's a rack there of all sorts of booklets like this that we try to keep well supplied, not only dealing with anger, but all sorts of other issues of life that can help us. So let's pick up our study here in the book of James. and Let's pick it up in James chapter 4. And let's just read verses 7 through 10. James 4, 7 through 10. James says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Father, we pray now that You would take Your Word and You would make it clear to us that we would be able to apply it and give You praise for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. As a student at Stout in my early 20s, that is the point where I became aware of God and my sin and my need to repent. And it was there where I became a follower of Jesus. And proof of that, fruit of my relationship with Jesus, as He began to show me my relationships around me that were broken, many of which I contributed to. And so I needed to get my relationship right with my dad, my stepdad, my mom, my sibling, and all sorts of other people around me, including an old boss. When I was in high school, I worked at the little grocery store in our little town. And, and it was there where I, I got my first job, and I, I had this boss, and, and I didn't really get along with him. I worked for about three years in that little super value, and I never got one raise. And there were times where I, it was my goal for that work day not to have to speak to him at all. Anyone ever have a job like that? And you know what? As a, as a young man in my junior and senior year in high school, I kind of got caught up in some sinful stuff. And that led me to actually stealing from the store. I can remember stealing some chocolate milk, stealing some snacks, and I, I would there, I'd be there early in the morning and unload the truck before anyone else was there, and I kind of would help myself to that sort of stuff. And then a few years later, I became a Christian. And then God was saying to me, if you want to have a clear conscience, if you want to make it right with other people, then you need to confess these sins to people whom you have wronged. So one day I went back into that grocery store, and I looked my old boss square in the eye, and I said, I wonder if I could have just a few minutes with you. And he said, yes. And I said, listen, it's no... It's no secret that you and I haven't got along very well. And he says, you've been the cause of a lot of that. 
I said, you know, you're probably right about that. I have to own that. And he says, but I've recently become a Christian. And God's been working in my life. And there's a lot of things in my past that I need to make right. One of those things was my relationship with you. And I just want you to know that I'm sorry for the way that I served as your employee. And I also need to let you know that while I served as your employee, I stole from you. And so I've calculated how much. I've added to that some restitution. And here you go. And I just want you to know that I'm really, really sorry for what I've done. He looked me in the eye and he says, oh, that's good. Thank you. Shook my hand and I went out the store. And you know something? Things changed between me and him. I don't want to make it sound like we're best of friends or anything like that. Decades have passed. And I rarely see my old boss when I go home. But if I ever saw him on the sidewalk, if I ever saw him in a gas station, there would be absolutely nothing between him and I. I would have a clear conscience. You see, my confession of sin had some skin to it. It brought about a change in my life. Well, in the book of James, at least the last couple of weeks, it's been a really a grueling series of sermons. In chapter 3, he talked to us about the weight of our words. And I think we walked out that Sunday morning kind of a somber tone. Let us consider how powerful our words are. Last week, we had the heavy topic of anger. What we found out is that the source of our anger is these unmet, selfish desires. I don't get what I want, so I get angry, and you're going to hear about it or maybe even feel it. And that's the conflict that was going on in the church that James was the pastor of. And so as a fallout to that, he says, Here, let me give you the next part of those of you who are angry, those of you who are selfish. Here's how you are going to make that right. And so we have these next four verses. And these next four verses have to do with how we confess our sin, how we get that right with God, and how we get that right with others. We might say confessing our sin is as simple as just simply saying, I am sorry. And we might say that, but we feel more obligated to say that because it's the Christian thing to do without it actually having any impact in our life. But true confession, we'll find out this morning, is one that goes very deep. It's a confession that brings about change to a person and change to relationships. If we're truly sorry, in this context of James 4, for our anger then it won't be just simply say, I'm sorry, but we'll allow God to change our heart so that our relationship with Him can be restored and our relationships with others can be restored as well. So I think a pretty simple, straightforward message today, one that will influence all of us. Just some insights on how to confess sin. So let us first consider verse 7. We need to submit to God. How do I confess sin? Let's get our relationship with God in its right order. Look with me at what it says here in verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This word submit is a magnificent word for us. And we could meditate on this. And through this phrase, for the whole day, and I don't think we would get all the insights out of it. The word submit 
In its Greek form is a military term that means to get in proper rank. Now consider our context. The context here is that of anger. And what James has been saying is, you have gotten out of rank. Because when we are angry with a, a selfish anger, what we are saying is, I want my way and my way matters the most. And we have actually taken ourselves and made ourselves king and everyone else is our servants. So in order to get that right, we need to get our rank back in order. Where we put God back as king and we are his servants. So the first word here is submit yourselves. Get back in line. Get back to where you belong. Where you are the servant. And he is the king. You are the servant. And you are serving others. Because that is what greatness is according to Jesus. This word submit is used in other places in the New Testament. It's referred to citizens submitting to the government. An employee submitting to the employer. A wife submitting to her husband. And children submitting to their parents. So if we are to report for duty, if we are to fall in line to the rank that God has prescribed for us, where do we get our orders from? Where is it that we hear what we are supposed to do from our king? You know the answer to that. It's from the word. So for us to submit to the Lord, we need to know what his orders are. We need to have regular communication with him through his word and and through prayer. So we are to submit. We are to submit as a part of our confessing of sin. But to submit to God is also to resist the devil. We see that in the next part of verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Can you think of a place in the New Testament where there was one that was tempted by the devil on repeated occasions and that devil was resisted and eventually fleed? I think you probably can. When Jesus was tempted at the onset of his ministry, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was really, really hungry. And while he was there, the devil came to him on three separate occasions and attempted to move him from the ultimate plan that God had for his life. One time he was really hungry. There was these stones and he said, why don't you turn those stones into bread? Another time he brought him up to a high place and he said to Jesus, why don't you just throw yourself down? God, he'll protect you. Another time he took him to a very high place and says, look at all these kingdoms. They can be yours if you will just bow down before me. In each of these cases, Jesus resisted the devil by quoting scripture, by taking the word of God and applying it to that specific situation. And do you remember what happened to the devil? He fleed. He left. And so if we are to submit to God as a part of this confessing of our sins, one, we need to get the proper rank right. God, you are king and I'm just a lowly servant. I will take my orders from you. 
as prescribed by your word, as I am in the word and I'm praying to you. Secondly, I know that there is an adversary that's going to try to inflame my pride and my independence and say, why don't you just insist on your own way instead? But as a part of me submitting to you, I'm going to resist that. I'm going to take your word and I'm going to apply it to each one of those temptations. Your word says that he will flee at that point. So the second Second insight to confessing of sin here is to draw near to God. Look with me at verse 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This drawing near informs us that confession of sin is taking us somewhere. Confession leads to a restored relationship. We all probably know what it was like to be a kid or now to be a parent and see one of your children act up, knocking over a Lego and pushing a little another one onto the ground and you come up to them and says, you need to tell them that you're sorry. And that child might say, I'm sorry. But on the inside, they are not sorry at all. We can, we can do the same thing as adults. I am obligated to say that I am sorry to keep my job or to keep peace in this home. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm not really sorry that that happened. And we're really good at hiding that. But confession is all about a restored relationship. And this is what James is telling us. So people within James chapter 4 are hurting one another because of their anger. If we dip into chapter 3, they might be hurting each other because of their words. You need to confess that. You need to get that right. And he says here, we need to draw near to God so you can get your relationship with Him restored. Well, what does it mean to draw near to God? A.W. Tozer had a wonderful thought. He said, the more that we are like God, the nearer we are to God. The more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. Now in our home, imagine it's 8.30 at night and we put our boys down to bed and it's just Melody and I there in the living room and I'm sitting on the couch and maybe she's in the kitchen getting ready for the next day of school and we're just, we're just kind of rehashing our day out with one another. And she's entirely across the room from me. And then there's our cat, this black and white cat named Fuddles that's, that's there on my lap seeking attention and asking me to just pet it and stroke it. And, and I am as, as I'm talking to my wife. And one might ask, who are you nearer to at that moment? Are you nearer to your cat or are you nearer to your wife? And I'm nearer to my wife because her and I are drawing close together. I am more like my wife, I assure you, than I am like that cat. (laughs) And that's the point that he is making here. The more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. One might say, wait a minute, you're, you're entirely across the room. But the more I am like God, the more I am holy, like He is holy, the nearer I am. So how can I draw near to God? Well, let's look at what it says there, the last part of verse 8. 
It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. What, what does the hands represent here? Well, if we were to go back to the Old Testament, and these are Jewish Christians that James is writing to, the hands, and cleaning your hands would, would go back to Exodus chapter 30, where the priest, Aaron, and his, his brothers, they were responsible, before they could go into the tabernacle, to have their hands clean. You can't bring your dirty stuff into the presence of God. Uh, yesterday I was having... Um, one of the men in our church kind of look at our van and just look at it. Hey, it's making this wobble. Can you look at it? So he took it off and he's looking all over it. And he came out, as you would expect, with dirty hands. And I said, well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We shook hands. And I was like, you know, <laughs> but that's what happens because we are working, right? And so we get dirty hands. And so the dirty hands here is just our way of life. And so before we can be more like God, he is saying, examine your way of life. That is influenced by, the next part here in verse 8, your heart. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So if you want to draw near, consider the ways of your life, that's your hands, and consider what drives those ways of life, your heart. If you want to be more like God, you confess your sin to get in alignment, to draw closer to Him. The psalmist said in Psalm 24, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? That is, who shall be close to God? Who shall walk in intimacy with God? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He's saying, don't be double-minded here in the last part of verse 18. That's the person that say, I want to draw close to God. But they choose sin over God again and again. So the first part of confession, as we see here in verse 7, was to submit yourselves to God. The second part of confession is to draw near to God. And then the third part is to humble yourself before the Lord. Look at what it says here in verses 9 and 10. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So if we want to have true confession of sin, there has to be this humility that comes over us. And before that can be joy and forgiveness... There must be sorrow in repentance. So we read these words in verse 9 about being wretched and mourn and weep. And I'm asking myself this week, does this describe my confession of sin? Is there weeping? Is there sorrow? Is there this wretchedness? Is there a deepening conscience of what God demands of me and my lack of keeping it? Does that drive me to grief? And to even weeping. It did Peter. Do you remember? In Mark 14 verse 72. And immediately the roaster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. And it said of Peter. And he broke down. And he wept. 
So true confession is this anguish over our sin. I wonder, is that something that is missing in our lives, in our walk with God? What is it that we really have sorrow over? Is our sorrow over the harvest of sinful seeds that we've planted? Is it because our slanderous tongue has cost me a dear friend and now I have regrets? Is it because my sinful habits have led to a strain in my family and now i got to get this right? Is it because my sin has been found out and now I've been exposed and I'm embarrassed, now I'm sorrowful? Well, all of that is what the Bible refers to as worldly sorrow. But there's something deeper than that. It's a godly sorrow. A sorrow that says, I don't care if anyone else finds out. What really matters is my relationship with God. And right now it is not where it needs to be. And I am broken up. I'm torn up about that. And I have to get that right. This is what we're talking about here. And then he says something very interesting. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Do you think James is saying here, it's time for you all to stop laughing. It's time for you to stop having joy. Is that what James is referring to? Not at all. The Bible is all about our joy in God. It's all about us enjoying life and having laughter. But they've got to order off. When there is sin here, they ought to be grieving over that and not laughing over it. Now I confess to you that I'm, I'm very far detached from entertainment uh, when it comes to movies and sitcoms that are out there. We don't have a lot of time to watch that kind of stuff. So this isn't necessarily a statement based on my, my pious nature. It's just that we, we don't watch that stuff. But I can remember when I was in college and I was just an early Christian, we watched all those sitcoms, or at least a lot of them. And it seems to me that many of those punchlines were all about laughing at sin rather than grieving about sin. And that's kind of what James is saying here. There in the church there in Jerusalem, there's some sin going on here. You all are laughing about that when you should be crying about that. He's talking about this, this tendency that we have not to take sin seriously. David Platt, in his commentary, offered this quote from a guy named Cornelius Plenginga. So let me just read these two paragraphs, and I, I think you'll understand why I'm reading them to you. He says, The awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated sin, feared it, fled from it, grieved over it. Some of our grandparents agonized over their sins. A man who lost his temper might wonder if he could still take Holy Communion. A woman who for years envied her more attractive and intelligent sister might wonder if this sin threatened her very salvation. But the shadow has dimmed. Nowadays, the accusation you have sinned is often said with a grin and with a tone that signals an inside joke. At one time, this accusation still had the power to jolt people. I think that's true. Maybe someone who was older than I 
would reflect at this point and say, I can remember my dad and my grandparents coming into a church and seeing people weep at the altar. I remember hearing stories like that. Because of my background, I didn't grow up in that setting. But I, I could say that there's, there doesn't appear to be a real anguish of sin. And I'm saying that about myself, by the way. One other quote here by Martin Lloyd-Jones that I think was really helpful. He said, go and read the history of revivals again. Watch the individuals at the beginning. This is invariably the first thing that happens to them. They begin to see what a terrible, appalling thing sin is in the sight of God. They temporarily even forget the state of the church and forget their own anguish. It is the thought of sin in the sight of God. How terrible it must be. Never has there been a revival, but that some people, especially at the beginning, have such a vision of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin that they have scarcely known what to do with themselves. So revival has always been about an awareness of sin and an anguish over it. And this is what James is calling us to. He is saying, reflect on this. Those of you who have caused some conflict within the church, reflect on what your anger has done to your life. And now confess that. Grieve over that. Pastor James here is not at all concerned about our self-esteem. In fact, I think he'd say something like this. Your self-esteem is what's got you in this predicament to beginning. This idea of you insisting on your way and feeling good about yourself has caused you to run over people. Now look at the state and the condition you are in. Jesus said it this way, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who grieve over their sin, that the Spirit would come alongside them and comfort them in forgiveness. So here is our passage. Confess our sins. Let us be right with God. And as I've prayed about this message this morning, I thought that is helpful. That is exactly what James would have us to hear today. But then my mind went back to a study that I did with some of the younger men in our church a couple of years ago. And it was, had to do with confessing sin and fighting and killing sin in our life. So I, I reflected on what we read together and I thought, let me just conclude this message by giving some application. So we could leave here today saying, yeah, I know I need to confess that, and I'm going to go ahead and do that. But if we don't have handles here on how to overcome that specific sin, we might be just repeating it over and over and over again. So on the back of your handout, here's an old Puritan by the name of John Owen. He offered some helpful strategies for confessing and fighting sin. Let me just cover these eight real quickly with you. I think they will be helpful to you because they have been to me. Here's the reality. Men, let me talk to you for a little bit. We, We can see a different project that we have going on in our home. Maybe we need to remodel a room and we don't think anything about ripping out the drywall and taking out the two by fours and making an absolute mess in our home. If there is a project that we have in our vehicle, we don't think anything about taking a day and just setting about the engine or these big parts of the the car and just getting into this project. But how many of us apply the same tenacity and the same effort to a specific sin in our life? 
and the research and a plan and a strategy and the, and the steadfastness to drive out that sin in our life. That's what John Owen was about, and that's what John Owen's going to help us with. So let me just give you eight of these. We won't look at them real, real slow, but we'll work through these pretty quick. Number one, evaluate. Evaluate this sin. How common is this sin in your life? Is it easier to sin now than to do what is right? If it is, then your sin is particularly deep. So here's the situation. Because James 4 deals with anger, let's imagine that you are in a situation where you're irritated. Something's come across your desk. Something's come across your life that you don't want. What is the most common response to that? Is it irritation and anger? Is that easier for you than trust and prayer? If sin is easier for you, then that's evidence that this is a deeper sin in your life. And it warrants more attention. Secondly, fill. Let yourself feel the weight of sin. Own it. You have grieved and offended God. Weep tears of godly sorrow. And I'm saying this to myself this morning as well. When we are aware that God, we have violated God and His commands and His law, that ought to do something to us. Let that set in on us. My sin has put an innocent man on the cross. And to dwell on that, to think on that, that's healthy for us. Let that set in. Three, long. Desire to be delivered from this sin so that you can glorify God with your body. Cry out for it. Take some time to imagine what would it be like if I wasn't angry? What would it be like if I, if I trusted in God and in His sovereign plan for me right now and what I am? What would that be like? Oh God, that is what I want. The thirst, the pant, to pursue that. Number four, consider. Is there something in your life, your history, or even your family history that makes you especially prone to this sin? If so... This does not excuse you from falling. It puts the burden on you to fight even harder against it. Is this sin something that you observed in your mom or dad? Is this something that's prevalent within your family? Is that kind of put you on a slippery slope towards this? That doesn't excuse it, but that can be helpful to clarify maybe where you picked this up from. Um, this doesn't seem as significant is what we're talking about in anger, but a few weeks ago I had the opportunity to go to Coleman to do a chapel service for the kids there. And as I was preparing for that, I was thinking of an event when I was in 7th and 8th grade. I went out for the baseball team in Marshfield, and, and I didn't make the team. I got cut. And so 7th, 8th grade, those are pretty vulnerable years, are they not? And you're not sure if you've got what it takes to be an adult or whatever, and then you have a coach say, you don't have what it takes, you know, to, to make the baseball team. And, and it only just confirmed my greatest fears about myself. And, and that really cut deep. And you know something? That really influenced 
not only into the later teen years, but even into my early adulthood. Why am I going to go out and, and put myself out there? I tried that once, and man, did I get shattered dreams. And so fear, fear of man, took a root in my life. And that, that comes into collision with the gospel because you can't live like that. You have to go out and obey God and, and, and fear Him more than man. So there's an example of something that happened to me. Number six, num- rather number five is to contemplate. Consider the times you tend to fall into sin. Now what are those occasions? What happens right before? When are you susceptible? So if you struggle with discontentment, you're probably not going to want to go on Facebook, right? And, and find out how everyone else is doing. So that better be a strategy. Let's, let's avoid that because I found out that that leads me to a pattern of seeing how other people live and how good their life is and how pathetic mine is. Number six, battle. It's to commit to battling hard against the first awakening of that sin. This is where we just apply effort to this project of sin. Cry out to God. His Spirit is available to you. Call on other Christians for help and encouragement. You've never been intended to, to do this alone. To be able to go to someone and say, I'm, you know, I'm struggling right now and leading my marriage in this way. I'm confessing that to you. Pray for me. And then when you see your friend, they say, how is that going for you? And you get a text from them, I'm praying for you. How is that going? And you hang in there. I'm encouraging you towards that. Number seven is to meditate, to think on God's character. As you consider how high and lofty God is and how low you are, allow humility to set in. See the gap between how massive and powerful God is and how puny and pathetic you are. And that gap can drive you to humility. And God gives grace to the humble. And that's exactly what you and I need. And then finally, eight, expect. Anticipate God to work and bring peace to your conscience, heart, and mind. God is for you. And He loves to help you put away that sin. This would be His delight to do that. Just trust. Wait for God to work in your life as you work through this. I hope you understand this can't be done in 10 minutes. This is a sit down. This is God. Help me through this. Here's the reality, loved ones. Confession of sin may have been the door that led you to be a Christian. But for the Christian, a confession of sin is a way of life. And it's going to be that between us and God, and it's going to be that between us and our brothers and sisters in the Lord and those who are not yet Christians. So let's take these truths. Let's take these insights and be better confessors. Let us not just say it with our mouth, hey, I'm sorry. But let God work in our heart. Let us feel that offense. And let us plead for his help that would be different for that. Could be this morning that you've been on a search. 
What is this Christianity stuff all about? What does it mean to become a Christian? I'm interested in learning about that. Well, God is holy. God created this world. We are not. We are sinful. And while we might be capable of doing some good things, at our core is one of which we serve ourselves rather than others or God. In God's love, He sent Christ for us. Instead of giving us what we deserve, death, His Son Jesus took our death upon Himself there on the cross. And if we would confess our sins, what we're talking about this morning, God, I am sorry for my sins. I want to grieve over them. Break my heart over them. And if we will place our life in what Jesus has done on the cross for us, we might be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect, as Mr. Jared said. But when we sin, He will convict us that we can draw near to God. Let our confession bear fruit. May it bear fruit with Him, and may it bear fruit with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank You for a chance here to do something that we all are in need of. is to examine our lives and say, How is it that I can submit to you? How is it I can draw near to you? How is it I can humble myself before you? It's in response to our sin. The sin here in James 4 is in response to the sin of anger and conflict. I believe all of us know at some level what that's like if we're two years old or 102 years old. Oh Lord, help us to apply these insights that we might draw near to you and have our relationships restored with one another. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're a Christian, but you would like to be one, or if, if you've been away and you're like, I, I need to get right with God, maybe you would pray something like this. You could just kind of follow along with what I'm saying. Father, What James said is true. I need to confess my sins. I have acted like I've been the king of my life. And I've been running my life. And I don't want to run it anymore. I want to take the crown off my head and place it at the feet of Jesus. And say, Jesus, you run my life. I need to be forgiven of my sin. My hands are dirty. My heart is dirty. Would you please clean it? I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I want to take my orders from you. Help me to read the Bible. Help me to pray. Help me to find others that will help me in this. This is what I want to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.